0: Don't be surprised when it all comes falling apart we just one false moon from total chaos Will this world ever live in still moons and breeze Don't be surprised when it dies like you and me Cause it could happen today Alright, take two. Uh You guys didn't hear take one because I forgot to turn the mics on. Welcome into Living Off the Land. This is episode 223 And I am your host Dan here with steven welcome in tonight it's tuesday back in our normal recording slot and you know what that means steven how we doing
1: hello is this on
0: yeah yeah whatever i forgot to turn the mics on so uh i'm drinking two beers at once because we got to have the the opening of the beer and i did it when the mics weren't on so now i got to do it twice so Mm -hmm. welcome in
1: Episode 223 23 on a
0: Tuesday. On a Tuesday. This is August 9th. 9th. And we are, well, we're not live. Well, we're live. But we are live, but we're not, not live. So anyway, uh, Stephen, how are we doing? How's your Tuesday? Ah, Tuesday was uh, pretty cool. Um,
1: went out to grab some ice cream with the wife and the kid at the fabulous new Moo Town Creamery in North Ridgeville. Just opened. Oh, very nice. Moo um, Town. Yep. So, I'm happy.
0: I'm always happy when I get ice cream. Who isn't? Speaking of ice cream, Champ got some ice cream on his birthday last night. Oh, did he really? Whoa. Yeah, got himself a little East Coast uh, custard pup cup. Uh, the boy turned uh, seven yesterday, and uh, he is hanging out with us here in the LOTL studios. But, uh, happy birthday, bud. Seven years old. So, does this mean next year he turns eight on 8-8? Yeah. That's right. exactly. Its birthday is August eighth. All right. So anyway, uh, I am enjoying the beer of the week, a very tart, juicy IPA from Rheingeist in Cincinnati, Cincinnati Ohio, mm. called Cloud Harvest '08. And let me read a little blurb here. What is about, going on with these eights in this episode? Yeah. I don't wow. Know. Crazy 8s. Are we going to start playing uh, Crazy 8s later uh, on? <laughs> Wangamata. I don't know what that means, but it's on the can and it's in the description. Bits of obsidian pepper the beach. Bits of obsidian pepper the beach like tiny black mountains. In the distance, uh, Wenakura dunks placidly frosted with luscious green trees. Mm, juicy. I don't know what the hell any of that means. Uh, that's what's on the can. Uh, notes of tangerine, berry, and mango. Uh, in this juicy IPA It has a score of 87 on Beer Advocate Let me see On Untapped It has a Score of 3.85 Out of 5 So very highly touted Beer here 6.5% ABV uh, It is Brewed and canned In Cincinnati, Ohio at the Rhine Guys Brewing Facility and it's described on the can as a rotational IPA, so I don't think that they brew this all year round. But anyway, it is the beer of the week this week, so uh, very cool, groovy-looking can with different colors. Uh, and I will say, it certainly has notes of tangerine, berry, and mango. It is a very tart IPA, in my opinion. definitely juicy uh if you enjoy hazy ipas you're going to enjoy this um i'm going to go ahead and rate it a 7.4 on the scale and yeah cloud harvest 08 i don't know what the 08 stands for but that's what it that's what it is and yeah that's the beer of the week since he made Rhinegeist cloud harvest 08 juicy unfiltered juicy IPA so there you go Okay, that'll do
1: it Ryan Geist Brewing of course in Cincinnati, Ohio it's at 1910 Elm Street Cincinnati, Ohio it's in the Over the Rhine neighborhood which is just to the north of downtown actually between downtown and the University of Cincinnati campus Uh, if you've been down in that area that's about where it is and uh, Over the Rhine actually is sort of turning into almost the Ohio City of um, Cincinnati now uh, lots of, uh, nice local businesses that have been going up in that area. They've been completely, I mean, it's almost completely, well, actually, uh, an even better, um, comparison might be Detroit Shoreway because if you think about it, 10 years ago, Detroit Shoreway was an awful neighborhood in Cleveland and it is now an amazing neighborhood and it's almost over the Rhines had a very similar trajectory to, uh, Detroit Shoreway actually. Hmm. So, um, but, yeah, that's where they're located, and uh obviously all their beers are, are uh, available here at your uh max beverage and all of your old, uh local brewery sh- uh shops as well. So what's going on in Cleveland this week? Well, yeah, there, let's get
0: back to Cleveland that that's there, enough of Cincinnati. There is a
1: lot going on in Cleveland this week, but there's there's one thing that is really, really like super over the top and hard to miss. And that is the Feast of the Assumption.
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: You thought I was going to say the North Ridgeville Corn Festival,
0: did it? That is not what I thought you were going okay, to say. Okay,
1: because that's going on too, but we're not going to talk about that.
0: Nobody cares about that. Ah, um, corn.
1: Anyway, um, no. The Feast of the Assumption, of course, takes, takes place the second weekend in August every year in the University Circle neighborhood, and that is where we are going tonight. We believe it or not in all the episodes of bcam, we have not talked about University Circle yet. We were waiting for this week, and here you go. So the Feast of the Assumption, of course, a major Catholic um day of uh, holy observance and which is technically on August fifteenth, but again, um they do this um, on the weekend prior as long as if it doesn't fall on the date. And University Circle, uh, this is basically, Little Italy basically turns into a whole walking zone uh, with street vendors, with uh, festivals, and all sorts of stuff starting on Friday, going all the way through food. Sunday. Yeah, I didn't, I'm burying the lead on this one, because the food is, is the number one attraction,
0: obviously. Food! Yep. Food! For all you so, Twister fans out there.
1: Yeah, so I'm just going to start in Little Italy here because uh, this this is the area that basically goes right along Mayfield Road 322, uh, right when it branches off from Euclid Avenue, and it's I mean it's just a small little area. Really, it's just only a few square blocks, but it is it's a just street, basically yeah, it, it's just incredible. Again, just mentioning some of the local businesses right here: uh, Etna, which is an Italian eatery. You've got Presti's Bakery. You've got Mia Bella, which is another amazing restaurant. I've eaten at Mia Bella before. And that is one of the top restaurants, maybe in the whole city. Quite frankly, um, Valerio's yeah. another place right down the street, right there. Uh, Borgata Bar, which is uh, right below the hill, as you uh, almost get up to the hill on on Mayfield. Um, if you get a little bit off of the main drag, that's when you start to you go down random road and you go down. Um, Paul Avenue, you come up on Algebra and the Algebra Tea House, uh, which is a Mediterranean Tea House. Michelangelo's Italian restaurant and wine bar is just off of Edge Hill Road. That's another. That's actually a really pricey, like top-of-the-line type of uh, establishment there. Blue Sky Brews, which is another coffee house, is right down the street from there. Uh, and then if you continue to go a little bit to the south, that's when you start hitting some of the uh, off-campus housing for the Case Western Reserve University. And again, Case Western Reserve is kind of like it's it's sort of bisected in half there. The South Residential Village is is uh, just off of Overlook Road and Cedar Avenue, which is on the southeast side of this neighborhood, and and actually Adelbert Road abuts it as well. That's the street that goes right toward the UH main campus. Uh, UH main campus is more or less dead center of, of bullseye in this neighborhood, which is, again, just to the immediate southwest of Little Italy itself. Uh, University hospitals employs thousands of people, almost tens of thousands possibly across our entire region. Uh, of course, they have satellite facilities all over the uh, greater Cleveland area, but their main campus is right there on uh, Euclid Avenue and the Delbert Road. Um they're really, uh, more so than anything else, they're they're more known for pediatrics, I feel like, more than anything else. Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospitals is nationally and internationally renowned uh, for their care. And again, Case Western Reserve University just kind of sort of surrounds this whole area. You've got a section of campus just to the southwest of UH Main Campus, and then the, I feel like the majority of it is on the other side of Euclid Avenue, um, on the northwest side of Euclid Avenue. That's where your um, Tinkhamville University Center is there. Freiburger Field, which is their main stadium, is there. Uh, East Bell Commons, which is uh, kind of you got a bunch of your academic buildings just around this little green space, which is in between Bellflower Road and Wade Oval Drive. And then also East Boulevard, which once you get across East Boulevard, that's when you start getting into the museums area. The Cleveland Botanical Garden uh, is up in this area i've actually been there it's actually that's imagine the largest and most diverse greenhouse you've ever seen and that's basically what the cleveland botanical garden is if you are in, anyone who is even the least bit interested in plant life or horticulture <coughs> this is a place where you can really nerd out in it's you'll see uh, fauna from uh, literally all over the world there if you go a little bit to the west of there that's when you get Really to the museum's property, the, the Cleveland Art Museum and the Cleveland Museum of Natural History uh, are both right off of Wade Oval Drive. These are two other places that I've been to uh, several times in the past and are great places to go and hang out and uh, to really learn a lot as well. Um, Dan, I know that you've been to these places as well, uh, and you've had your experiences there too. Uh, whether whether you're a kid, whether you're an adult, uh, there's always something to see at the the art museum and the museum of natural history. Uh, if you get up to the very far north end of the neighborhood, that's mostly residential. Uh, as you get north of the Case Western Reserve campus, and you have some, you know, the single family houses in this area are going for two, three hundred, maybe in some cases over four hundred thousand uh, dollars. Location is everything in real estate, and well, again, all those places that I just mentioned, you are within walking distance of all of that. Uh, this, this area off of Magnolia drive also has, that's where Hawkins school is located. Um, and actually on the, if you go a little bit to the West of there toward East hundred and fifth street, this is when you get to the VA hospital. Uh, the VA hospital of course is another, um, just, you know, that whole healthcare corridor is just huge. UH is there. Cleveland clinic main campus is just on the other side of East hundred and fifth street. And then the, U, the VA hospital is right up there as well. Just a little way to the North. um, if you go across east 105th street on martin luther king that's where you get into rockefeller park which leads all the way up to i-90 of course that technically heads out of university neighborhood but it's almost an extension of it. you can almost if you're in the green space you almost don't even realize you've uh, wandered outside it if you go further down east 105th street that's when you start getting into some of your new residential high rises this is where uh, Euclid Avenue and Carnegie Avenue and Cedar Road all kind of converge. It's actually kind of confusing a little bit if you've driven if you're not familiar with the area the streets kind of zigzag around there but there are several high rise buildings that are that are currently being constructed in this area. Uh, some of them are like 10, 12, 13 stories high and these are going to be residential in nature and I think this is going to be a real game changer for this neighborhood you're going to have a lot of I think it's surprising it took a long time for this to happen because the one bad thing about University Circle is that it's not very accessible. There's no highways that go by it. So, I mean, you do have the Opportunity Corridor Road, which does connect East 105th, but that's not really a highway either. So I feel like you have a lot of people who are just sick and tired of having to commute there all the time. So there is this pent-up demand to have, you know, dense housing in this neighborhood, and they are now finally putting it in. Uh, you know, in that in a great area too, literally right between the UH main campus and the Cleveland Clinic main campus, that is going to be a real game changer. As you make your way to the far south end of the neighborhood, that's where uh, John Hay High School is. Uh, Tudor Arms Hotel is down there. Uh, and a bunch of uh, the Cuyahoga County Medical Examiner's Office is actually in this area as well, and then you have a whole bunch of churches and actually one of the largest mosques in Cleveland, the Ukba Mosque. Is is there. Uh, That's not surprising. University Circle is one of the perhaps the most diverse neighborhood in all of Cleveland. You have a very large Middle Eastern population, a very large South Asian, like Pakistani and Indian population there. There's some East Asian uh, influence there as well. So, to some degree, it's really a, a total melting pot there. And again, that's the influence of Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals. You have all these people who are really, really advanced in healthcare. Um, because the hospitals, I mean, we talk about the care that these places provide, but they also provide really, really great jobs and a lot of them. And these people come from all over the world to take them. So, but again, as very we nice
0: s- thing for you to say about your rivals, by the way, rivals, which rivals, <laughs> what are we talk what are we about, well, you work for Metro now. So Cleveland clinic and university, <laughs> I, you know what?
1: I haven't been in the door long enough to even get involved <laughs> in, in any of that. Like, you know, they're all sort of known. You know, it's it's funny. They they all provide great care, but they're all sort of known for different things. Like I said, yeah. uh, is their biggest thing is pediatrics. For Cleveland Clinic, it's um, heart and cardiovascular is their biggest thing, and then for Metro, it's uh, emergency room and trauma is their biggest thing. And that's easy to figure out because Metro main campus is literally one minute off of I seventy one. You got to like right. It's it's a pain in the rear to get to Cleveland Clinic or uh main campus, quite frankly. Well, especially if you're if you're. Uh, Coming from the west or anywhere not in the south east or side. west, yeah. So, I mean, that's just you know they all have their advantages and disadvantages, but uh, we're we're very thankful that they're all here. So, oh yeah, you know, absolutely. But again, looping back around to Little Italy, fabulous area, some yeah. of the best food you'll find, yeah. not just in Cleveland, but I think frankly uh, anywhere. Some
0: of the some of the places you didn't mention that I that'd be remiss. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. Mention. Bring them up, please. Uh, so Tolly, which is is uh, tavern of Little Italy. That's a really cool bar spot. That's a really cool spot during the feast uh, weekend. Uh, La Dolce Vita, which is another uh, spot with a great back patio during the feast. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the pizza from Mama Santa's. That's one of the most uh, famous pizza places uh, in the entire city. Uh, Corbo's Bakery, which uh, I think you mentioned Presti's. Uh, Corbo's is the other uh, bakery that's in Little Italy. Um, That actually probably is bigger than Presti's as far as notoriety goes uh you also got uh trattoria roman gardens which is a great rest great restaurant i mean all these are great restaurants so i'm kind of being redundant in that but angelo's nito italia which is a great spot uh i'm trying to think if i missed anything uh who did i miss mount
1: granita italian ice
0: uh which is uh traditional italian water ice is that on the south end of the hill
1: yeah that is on murray hill road
0: Uh, i trying to think if there's anything. What did, I even, did I miss something? Oh, Marinos, uh, another great spot, great patio. These places all really have underrated patios in the summertime. Um, if you're looking for, uh, you know, like a date night in the summer, uh, just go to Little Italy and hit any one of these places. You'll be able to sit outside, sit on the patio, and uh, enjoy. So all that to say that starting, I believe it is Thursday, I think, I think Thursday. Oh
1: yeah, Thursday. Mm
0: -hmm. I think Thursday is the first night uh, of the the Feast of the Assumption in Little Italy. It is bar none by far to me, and this isn't just. I don't think this isn't just. You know, it's not hyperbolic, and it's not just me a biased Italian. I think this is the greatest festival that the city has to offer.
1: This is the closest thing that it will feel like to being in Italy. And and you mentioned the the, st- the street geography actually lends to that because the streets mm-hmm. are narrow. A lot of them are, are bricked in. On a hill. You know, at, yeah, on a hillside. So you, you really could be, at, with everything being just straight oh, out Oh the not, streets. Not to
0: mention, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the bocce courts up at Alta House at the, at the top of the hill. Uh, incredible bocce tournaments uh, going on during the Feast of the Assumption. Um, that's always a blast. I mean, if nothing else, if you're at the feast and you just want to grab a bowl of pasta at one of the stands and just walk up to the bocce course and just watch people play bocce, fantastic people watching up there. Uh, And then, you know, it's the food, it's the live music, it's the street performers that they have uh, on the weekend. They have uh, fireworks going on throughout the weekend, I believe, or maybe it's just the last night they blow off a bunch of fireworks. Um you know, obviously there's the there's the religious element of it when they have the uh the service at the church uh on the street there. I can't remember what the what the church is called. Uh but uh yeah, it's just it's Holy just, Rosary it's, Parish. Yeah, there that's the
1: name of it. There you go. That, yeah, that's uh, right on Mayfield Road, right next to It's it, just no, such an awesome Angelo's time.
0: And, and, you know, I would say that it's a during the day, it's a great time for families and then you know at night if you're you know a young adult or whatever and you just want to have a night out outside and just hang out and have a good time with music and you know activities and great food and drink and all that uh, it's great to be there at night Um, there's DJs at like a handful of different spots they also will be playing Italian music they'll be playing you know house music regular uh, club style music that uh, you can Uh, Dance to and and all that So it's just an amazing time It's so great Like I said more family friendly during the day Uh, And then at night You know they'll have live They'll also have live music They'll have stages I know Disco Inferno's played there And all different kinds of bands So uh, yes It's great to have it back Last year we had it uh, But it was a little bit restricted because of COVID Uh, This year it will be going full bore And it's so amazing to have it back
1: One thing I do have to throw in about the geography of Little Italy, on the northeast end of it is the Lakeview Cemetery. You wouldn't even know that because if you're in Little Italy, it's just basically a a brick wall uh, separating. But um, on the other side of Lakeview Cemetery is East Cleveland. There's no reason to go there.
0: (laughs) Just saying. Fitting that there would be a cemetery that uh, is in between. (laughs) That's
1: the dividing line. (laughs) Uh,
0: Also, speaking of Italian uh, festivals... Uh, If you're a soccer fan or a Serie A fan or an AC Milan fan, uh, come hang out with us on Saturday at Schnitz Ale Brewery in Parma. We will be doing a a, a Milan Club Cleveland watch party on Saturday. Uh, As many of you have known, I've shared on social media, I started an AC Milan fan club, supporter club in Cleveland. So looking for uh, people to join that and join that with us. Uh, become an AC Milan fan with me. It's the best club in Italy.
1: That is at 5729 Pearl Road, uh, <laughs> right across the street from the Das Schnitzel House restaurant.
0: So so uh, come enjoy AC Milan uh, as the Campione d'Italia. And then at night, head over to uh, Little Italy and, uh, you know, celebrate at the feast.
1: It's an Italian day Saturday.
0: That's right. It's an That's Italian weekend. Italian weekend. For me, day. it's always Italian.
1: Well, it's Italian all the time. If, you, if you've grown up Italian like you... You know what we're talking about? Oh yeah.
0: So, very good, very good. All right. So is that do, do we wham that with the wham, right hand? With the right hand. That's right. Let's wham that home. Another one in the can for B can. Anyway, uh, Steve, if you want to uh, pull up the scores for the Guardians over the last week, we can do the week that was the week with the week Cleveland that was Guardians.
1: With the Cleveland Guardians, and I I have to mention the fact that they're. Basically, going back to the scene of the crime from about a month ago when they got swept by the Tigers somehow at Comerica Park. Well, they're up 5 nothing in the ninth inning. Let's go. So, uh, looking like there will not be a repeat of that this
0: time around. Don't let this team get hot. That's all I'm saying.
1: But as we uh, go through the past week again... Um, you had a th- you had a three game series against the Diamondbacks and the Guardians won two games out of three in that series that ended on Wednesday the third. After that, they had a four game set against the Houston Astros and the first two games were fugly. Hmm. They lost six nil on Thursday before losing nine to three yeah. on Friday. Three. And you were just thinking, oh. oh shoot, because the Astros they're they're extremely good. They've own the Guardians, even when the Guardians were good at the back the Indians, 2017, 2018, 2019, seems like we couldn't beat these guys. Of course, they were cheating. By the, way, so
0: that, by the way, not to interrupt, but you said the Guardians are up 5 nothing top of the ninth? Yes. So assuming they hold on there, they'll be half game out of the first place in the uh, AL Central. The Twins are in Tinseltown tonight playing the Dodgers. Hmm. Okay. So your Cleveland Guardians could very well be tied for first place in the AL Central at the end of the night.
1: And that was paved because the Guardians rallied after those first two losses of the Astros, beating the Astros 4-1 to on Saturday and then impressively beating them 1-0 on it, Sunday Jordan. to split the series um, and giving them a winning week 4-3 like to four and between Houston and Arizona, which is huge. That was another week where I was like, okay—
0: so t- yeah, so I'm I gonna tell mean, you what three and
1: four. I was thinking was the best case scenario, but they did even better than that.
0: So I tell you what, if the Guardians uh, do uh, winning weeks the rest of the season, they're going to win the division.
1: Yeah, I mean that's pretty much what we're looking at at this point. Yeah. You know, I mean unless if either Minnesota or Chicago catches fire at some point, and they haven't all season. See, I, I, so... I think
0: I think if they if they were going to, they would have done it already. The Twins the Twins had a couple opportunities when the Guardians were slumping. Where they could have put some distance in between them and the Guardians, and they didn't.
1: Yeah. They certainly did have their opportunity, particularly um, just before and after the All Star break, when they were playing easier teams than the Guardians were. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, the Guardians took their lumps, but they didn't. They didn't get. They got knocked down, but they got back up off the mat. And the, assuming something crazy doesn't happen in the bottom of the ninth, they're going to be fifty-seven and fifty-two. And, again, as you said, Twins are 57-51. and 51. They'd only be a half game ahead with a game coming later tonight on the West Coast. And the White Sox are 55-54. and 54. They would be two games behind the Guardians, two and a half behind the Twins. Not sure what they're up to tonight. They are in Kansas City. They are currently winning 2-1 to one in the seventh. But that's only a one-run game. That could go either way. So uh, do we have to – is Chicago the team maybe to worry about more at this point than Minnesota, or is it equal? I keep thinking that it might be the White Sox that we have more to worry about in the end. But uh, I think
0: the White Sox are the most talented team. Yeah. Uh, but they have a manager that falls asleep in the dugout in games. <laughs> Tony LaRusso. Unbelievable. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I think it's – I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think either of those teams scare me. I think it's there for the good. Gu- I think well, not. I don't think
1: any of these three teams would really be scary to pretty much anybody else. It's just no. You know, the only of them-
0: thing for me, the only thing that can give me, if I was an opposing team, that would give me pause about playing the Guardians is this team is so, excuse me, here come the hiccups, so young that they don't know what they don't know. So, it can either go one of two ways. If this team gets to the playoffs, I I think they're either going to get swept in the first round or, call me crazy, they might go to the World Series.
1: I'd have to say you're crazy. (laughs) <laughs> because quite frankly, I, mean, I okay. So if the Guardians win the division, that's awesome. That's oh, yeah. way uh, far and way above 100%. what anybody would have expected. That's great. They're they're going to put another little uh, blue banner in, in Progressive Field. You know, that's that's all yeah. cool and all. They they won't win a game in the
0: division series. I'm sorry. I mean, given their recent track record in the playoffs, they've they've been they've been worse in the playoffs every year they've been there since they went to the Game Seven of the World Series in 2016. I, <clears throat> They haven't won a playoff it game. It
1: hasn't just been the Guardians. I mean, the Twins, last time they won the division, they got swept. The yeah. White Sox, last time they won the division, they got swept. You know, it's just the AL Central is just garbage compared to yeah, the is. AL East and the AL West. It, it just
0: is. I, I, I couldn't agree Gosh. more. I couldn't agree now,
1: more. Now, am I talking out of both sides of my rear on this one? Because one of the teams that the Guardians might be most likely to face is the team they just played, the Astros. And they were able to split a series with them. So Yeah. What
0: well, you know what's interesting? And I saw this stat today. The postseason's uh, different though. There are only five teams that have uh winning records against teams above five hundred on their schedule. The top four the teams with the top four records in baseball, the Astros, the Dodgers, the Yankees and
1: either the Mets or the Braves. The Mets.
0: The Mets. Okay. You know who the fifth team is that has a, a winning record against teams with an uh, above five hundred record on their schedule? Is it the Guardians? It's the Guardians. It's the best four teams in baseball and the Guardians. That's why I'm saying this team doesn't know what they don't know. So when they get into high leverage moments, it's only going to be one or two things. They're either going to shrivel up because they're kids and the moment's going to be too big for them, or... They're Because they're so young, they're not going to feel any pressure at all, and they're just going to go out and play.
1: You know, now that I think about it, that makes sense because the Guardians have, you know, they had a four-game sweep loss to the Tigers. They had a two-game sweep loss to the Reds, who are terrible. Yep. I think they lost two straight to the Cubs, who are also terrible. Yep. They, the Guardians have really not played well against the National League this year. So I no. that's part of What's going on there? The NL Central isn't much better than the AL Central. The, the Cardinals are 60 and 48 in first place. The Brewers are the only other team that's over 500. So you got a pretty similar dynamic in the National League. As you do yeah, the we've American talked League. about
0: it. The, ce- the Central Division in both leagues in Major League Baseball are terrible. Yeah.
1: The Major League Baseball did the Guardians and all the teams in the Central a favor by aligning the. It you know, changes every year, but this year we played all the teams in the NL Central, which was good because. The other two divisions were much better, particularly the East. Yeah. So,
0: but but yeah. anyway, so I mean, it's it's going to be interesting down the stretch. I think what's what is interesting is in the Terry Francona era, what has been the main uh, consistent consistent uh, aspect of the team?
1: August and September, the no, team well, is great.
0: Well, I mean, like, like what part of the team? you you've always been as a guardians indian slash guardians fan you've always been able to rely on the starting pitching starting pitcher yep that's not the case this year this year the 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 lineup has been better than expected and the bullpen has been great starting pitching has been you know kind of they haven't been bad but they've been kind of hot and cold a little bit Tristan mckenzie's the one guy that's been consistently good the entire year and my god did he throw a gem on sunday oh my god against the astros <laughs> Eight innings of shutout baseball, and then he turns it over to the best closer in baseball this season, Emmanuel Classe, who throws a 101 mile an hour cut fastball. That's unhittable, basically. I gotta
1: tell you, if the Guardians were to make the postseason, and we're going to get to the schedule here in a second, but
0: they basically they get a lead,
1: right on teams, right? They get the ball. I mean, the bullpen—that's exactly it. The bullpen's been way better than we expect. And if you get to the ninth inning with the lead, oh boy.
0: Yeah. When the Guardians play from in front, they play an eight-inning game because if you get to the ninth inning with the lead as the Guardians, the door is almost certainly shut.
1: I mean, we haven't seen anything this great since, uh, you know, Cody Allen and um, Andrew Miller were doing their thing. Yeah, in
0: 2016. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that team, especially in the playoff run, if you got to the eighth inning with the lead, shut the door. done. So, yeah, I mean, it's – it's going to be interesting. Bieber's rounding into form a little bit.
1: That's a hell. You of, you would expect him to be better in the final two months than he's
0: been. That's a hell of a top two. Um, Cal Quantrill, when he's on, is really really good, but he's not totally consistent. Zach Polisak's not consistent at all, and Aaron Savali's had a dumpster fire every year. Hmm. So we shall see what happens down the stretch. I don't like the fact that our starting pitching is the weakest link of our ball of our ball club, but. This team, man, every time that they have a bad week or you know have a bad series like that one against the Tigers, they almost always bounce back.
1: Here's the really good news. I'm just looking out as far as September 1st here. You've made it through the really difficult stretch now. Yeah. You look between now and the first of September. Mm-hmm. You know, which is really, I mean, once you first of September, then you really are in, into the sprint toward the end. Right now you're 57, well, assuming they hold on tonight, it'll be 57-52. You've got two games against the Tigers. Mm -hmm. Then they go to play the Blue Jays for three. Mm -hmm. They then come home, they play the Tigers four more times. Hello. Then the White Sox for three. Mm -hmm. Then they go on the road, they they go to the West Coast, they play the Padres twice, they play the Mariners four times Mm -hmm. before coming back home to play the Orioles for three. So you are basically playing against teams that either stink or Or teams that are relatively close to you in record. In the case of Seattle, San Diego, and Toronto. So you really have got this all in front of yourself now. You've played the teams. You've played the Yankees. You've played, I mean, the Red Sox aren't having the greatest year, but they're still tough. You've played the Astros. You had some games against the Dodgers in there. I mean, you've played, you've been through the gauntlet, basically. And you've come out with some scratches and bruises, but hey, you're not down on the mat and knocked out. You're in this. So this is, I, I almost, I got to say, it to me now, it's almost, I'm going to go on record. It's, I think it's more than 50-50 they're going to win the division now when you consider what's ahead of them now. Because, they again, they went through the ringer, and they've come out, and they're going to be five games over five hundred after tonight. You look at the teams they got coming up I again. Mean, unless they get completely beat up by Seattle and and Toronto, I can't see this month going sideways for the Guardians. I really don't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, they could always do like they did, like we mentioned, a couple of weeks ago and get swept by a team like the Tigers. But I don't see that
1: happening again. I mean, probably I, not.
0: Uh, and then another – a uh, piece of Guardians news that happened in the week that was with the Cleveland Guardians, uh, they DFA'd Framil Reyes, and he is now on the Chicago Cubs.
1: Well, that makes Michael Stefano very happy.
0: Yeah, so he's been riding his
1: tushy the entire season. But what an inglorious end for that guy! That that was so unexpected. So for, so
0: for me, so for me, it, I don't think it's all performance based. Obviously, he's had a horrific year, and the uh, off the field stuff i think contributed to that uh i just don't think he came into the season very motivated i think he was he's not in great shape to begin with but supposedly he came into the season in really bad shape then went on the il and was basically told by tito francona get your ass in shape when you by by the time you come back and he didn't do it and the guardians were just like well uh we don't want your attitude in in the clubhouse and we were gonna we we're gonna get rid of you in the off season anyway, so uh yeah, goodbye. Which is like you said, it's unfortunate.
1: Well, if there's one thing that you can't have when you have a young team and you it's are on the precipice the of a stretch run where you're trying to make the playoffs, yeah, you, you can't have bad character in the in the clubhouse. No. That you can't have it. You can so, have it
0: you can have it when you're When you're a veteran-laden ball club and you got guys and you got uh, veteran leaders that can put guys into place, the problem is is Fran Reyes was supposed to be one of those veteran leaders for this really, really young club. Yeah, and and he wasn't that. You're not going to have any of the young guys put him in place. So Mm -mm. the the front office and the management decided to step in and uh, take care of something that they didn't want to see fester and uh, splinter the clubhouse and be a bad influence on the young guys. So kudos on them for doing that because I'm sure it's not – it wasn't an easy thing to do because, you know, when healthy and when in good shape, you know, Framel Reyes is gonna hit you thirty five home runs. Yeah. Is he gonna bat two eighty? No. He's probably more so gonna bat like two forty. But thirty-five home home runs in two forty in today's age in baseball is pretty damn good. So, uh onward and upward without uh without the Franimal. But uh yeah. So big uh well, I mean, in the We're in a position now that every series the rest of the season is a big series, but, you know, you you catch my drift when I say big series with the Tigers. If we don't win at least two out of three against the Tigers, it's a massive Major disappointment. So, But we're one leg of the way there tonight, assuming that that game went final. Um, And, yeah, could be tied for the lead in the division at night's end, depending on what the Twinkies do in uh, Tinseltown.
1: Yeah, let's hopefully the Dodgers uh, take care of business over the next couple days yeah. against Minnesota. That Do would it. that would be
0: that would be greatly appreciated. Do it for Vin, Dodgers. Mm. But uh, uh, yeah, so. are they
1: your sentimental favorite to win the World Series now because of Vin Scully's passing,
0: or or does that not matter? As long as the Guardians are alive, I'm not even going to think about that. Okay. If the Guardians are out, I mean, let's be honest. If the I World- should have
1: clarified that by saying the Guardians are not. Sure, sure. I mean, what are the odds it's going to be Guardians
0: Dodgers in the World Series? <laughs> well, here is the thing. Uh, everybody in, everybody in, uh, in the country outside of New York, New York, should be rooting for the Dodgers if it's Dodgers Yankees in the World Series. Right. So F the Yankees. Um, so. You know what would be really interesting is if the Dodgers played the Mets in the NLCS and then the Yankees in the World Series?
1: There's a non-zero chance that that could happen. Yeah.
0: I mean, those are the three of the four best teams in baseball right now. The,
1: the Mets are 71-39. The Dodgers are 75-33. and That yeah. is seriously great. I mean, we were talking about how great the Yankees are doing earlier. The Yankees are also 71-39, so they've actually fallen off the pace just a little bit. In fact, they're 4-6 and six in the last 10. If you can believe that. The Dodgers, meanwhile, have kept it up. They're nine and one in their last ten, and have actually broken up a little bit of a gap on the other teams. So, I mean, Atlanta, the defending champion, is just kind of lurking below the radar at sixty four and forty six. Um, I don't think I. You can't really knock out a defending champion team that are still in the mix, but they're not putting up the gaudy record of some of these other teams. You know, by comparison, the Astros are seventy and forty. Uh, So they're very much in that mix, too. I mean, So when when you're talking about the next level between where the Guardians are and the top teams, I mean, it's a pretty big golf. That's why, like, if you're talking about, you know, could the Guardians beat these teams in the playoffs? I mean, yeah, maybe they could, but,
0: boy, that would be a hell of a run if they managed to do that. Oh, my God. (laughs) By the way, I, I brought up the Mets earlier. Can we talk about this as the greatest closer entrance, at least in baseball today? Getting the entire stadium to clap at the beat.
1: That's awesome.
0: That is Edwin Diaz of the New York Mets. That's his walkout music. The best thing is him jogging to the beat of the song. How freaking cool is that? That is just like... That is just like you know. I don't need to say anything. I don't need to show any emotion. You just know that when I come out of that fence in the outfield, I'm coming to kick your ass. Yep. God,
1: that gets me fired up. That's like a scene out of Rocky. Oh. Something like that. Oh my God, that gets me
0: fired up. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's all and it's it's all about the uh, the symmetry too, because the guy. You know, as he's jog he's jogging to the beat of the drum. It's so cool. I don't know why that gets me all fired up, but it does. I'm weird. Anyway,
1: <laughs> baseball doesn't traditionally do a very good job with like fan interaction. No, that's but- a that's that's a rare case where they're getting it right and getting it way right. Absolutely, and it's coming from the Mets, which is usually a moribund, <laughs> ridiculously horrible franchise. But yeah. they're but they're having themselves a heck of a year yeah. this
0: year. One, one other thing before we transition out of uh, the Guardians and baseball. Uh, did you see that uh, not only did Framil Reyes get DFA'd, but did you see that uh, Mustard got sent down to uh, single A, uh, late, was it Lake County?
1: This is a hilarious story. So, like, apparently Onion and Ketchup are running neck and neck for, like, most, you know, Sugardale Hot 20, Dog Derby wins this 25, year.
0: 25-25, and then and Mustard, has, mustard, mustard has, has not
1: won one. So he has been designated for assignment. They sent him down, <laughs> and now they didn't even send him to Columbus or Akron. No, no they sent him to Lake, Lake County.
0: County. <laughs> and what's funny? What's funny is they're doing a whole. Obviously, this they they've plant they planned this since the beginning of the season, but they they've done, they did like videos of like uh, Mustard getting the alert on his phone saying, uh, "Hey, pack your bags. You're going on a single A." And uh, they're doing a whole, like, social media campaign on it, and it's absolutely fantastic. They've gotten the local news outlets to, uh, to provide them graphics with, uh, you know, leading sports stories. Tonight in sports, mustard gets sent down. <laughs> All this stuff. It's just so great. So great. A really so great.
1: great way to drum up publicity for the whole.
0: Oh, you know, yeah. Sugardale's got to be loving this because they're getting yeah. so much
1: free advertising oh, from yeah. this.
0: It's fantastic. Good on the Guardians <laughs> for that.
1: So maybe not great for mustard, but you know, <laughs> for everybody
0: else involved, which by the way, mustard is the premium hot dog. I know you eat hot dogs plain, but mustard is the premium hot dog condiment out there.
1: Who do, so who's replacing mustard for the time being? Oh, I don't is, know. Is it relish or uh, is it, maybe uh,
0: I don't know. Yeah. Uh, chili.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that's a
0: good idea. Yeah. Yeah, just a can of Skyline running out, running in the outfield. Oh, that's way too many Cincinnati references for one episode. Yeah, what the hell am I doing? <clears throat> yeah, what the hell am I doing? Next thing I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be talking about Joe Burrow. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> anyway, speaking of football, it's transition, and uh, you know, we've been talking to death about the whole Deshaun Watson situation. Uh, we talked last week about how the NFL has appealed Sue L. Robinson's six-game uh, suspension recommendation and we don't know of the appeal ruling yet so we're not going to take any time talking about the Deshaun Watson situation. I wanted to do a little little you know, little fun as this is the last episode before the Browns start playing football games because they play a preseason game on Friday in Jacksonville. It's a preseason game so no need to preview that in any way. I wanted to do something fun tonight and shout out to my coworker Mitch who essentially uh, gave me this idea as we were talking about it uh, at work this morning. Tonight we are going to do our Mount Rushmore. This is going to be a top five, eh, top four draft of our uh, Hmm. Mount Rushmore, Cleveland Browns since 1999. So this excludes Jim Brown, Otto Graham, Marion Motley, Bernie Kosar, Clay Matthews, Ozzie Newsome, all those guys. They will not be a part of this list because it's, this is the expansion era Browns going on Mount Rushmore. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron because this team has been just god-awfully terrible since then in the 23, 22 years going on 23 that they've been back in existence. But we're going to try. And we're going to do this draft style so our Mount Rushmores will not be identical. And, yeah, we're not going to do snake style. We're just going to do alternating picks. Okay. Um. How do you want to and decide? Okay,
1: so if I understand this correctly. You can only have one player that's on the oh, team currently. that's another thing. One current player. So the other three have got to be the from The other three have got to be somewhere between
0: 99 and, and whatever.
1: 2021,
0: assuming well, they're not on the yeah, team anymore. right. So, okay. Uh, so we are going to flip the coaster okay. here to see who gets the number one pick. The Cleveland skyline will be Steve, and blank will be me. So, okay. So here we go. And... That didn't even flip.
1: <laughs> Literally like a frisbee. Oh, well, it's yours
0: anyway. Okay, so Steve gets the number one pick.
1: Okay. <clears throat> All right. So I get the first pick, and I got to go with a guy who has basically the, been the Browns Iron Man over this time <sighs> period. Uh, somebody who is surely going in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Shit. Uh, maybe the best left tackle to ever not play in the playoff game, sadly. Ryan Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> that would be one Joe
0: Thomas. Damn it, the Hoff.
1: Yep. Uh, Speaking of which, he him. goes into the Hall
0: of Fame next year, and because of that, I think there's a better than fifty-fifty chance that the Browns are in the Hall of Fame game next year.
1: Uh, that's very likely. <clears throat> I think.
0: Yeah, I absolutely think so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, great choice. I mean, could you really go with anybody else? I'd be you'd be hard pressed to go with anybody else. I feel like. So uh yeah, that's a uh slam dunk number 1 pick. All right, so for me I'm going to go with the guy that uh won us our first No, I'm sorry. Not our first. Well, won us our first game against the Pittsburgh Steelers since we since we came back in 99. Okay. I want to say you were with me this day. We were at the old Strongsville Rec Center playing basketball. And when I say old, I mean old, the one on Prospect. Oh, wow. Okay. When Philip Dawson hit a field goal to beat the Steelers 15 13 at Three Rivers Stadium in 1999, Phil Dawson is on my Mont Rushmore.
1: Okay. That, you know what? I said Joe Thomas was the Iron Man, but Phil Dawson. I mean, I kickers don't usually miss games, so I mean he's yeah. <laughs> he right. was certainly a contender for that category as well. Yeah. And what a great! I mean, it seemed like every single year he was never like highly rated in fantasy. But I mean, kickers is, is really hard to project anyway. But like, the guy was just money all the friggin' time. Yeah, I remember him hitting a kick in the Blizzard game against Buffalo from forty nine yards, and I, it was maybe the best kick
0: I've ever seen. Oh yeah,
1: quite frankly,
0: we were together for that game too. We were actually in the stadium.
1: Oh my god, that was in that was in two thousand seven, and that was in a consequential game with the team, you know, going for the playoffs Very and everything. So. so we don't win that game. We don't go to the playoffs. What a guy, yeah. You know, it, it, I remember reading one of the, the fantasy magazines the year after he left for San Francisco, and it said it literally said, "Now that he's not on Cleveland, we can rate him highly."
0: Yeah. Well, I mean,
1: did they did they not understand the concept of offenses that don't score touchdowns and always have to kick field goals?
0: I think they I think they're more so talking about I think they were more so talking about the fact that he's going to a much uh much more friendly kicking condition situation. But the problem, maybe, the, prob- the prob- San Francisco
1: is a little squirrely when it comes to weather. Wow, well, <laughs> that's
0: true. But but outside of Adam Vinatieri, is there a better uh, inclement weather kicker in in the NFL than Phil Dawson?
1: Uh, not over that time period. No, or, or not. I mean, you got I mean, maybe there were guys back in the '60s, '70s, '80s. Wow, well, yeah, I'm not, right. I mean, not recently. No.
0: Yeah. So. Mm-mm. All right. Great so, choice. Round two.
1: Okay, round two.
0: By the way. Uh, you can take your current Browns player whenever you want. It doesn't sure. have to be like the last round. Okay. Ah,
1: uh, well, I'm going to go with a guy who made. I don't know if he was like one of the all time greats on the Browns, but he made. He was a, he was a really good player back in the Butch Davis era, and he made mm. one of maybe the most iconic plays in Browns history, certainly since '99. It was during, it was on the final day of the O2 season when the Browns no, needed to you're win. You're not really going to gonna get, do this. I'm really going to do this.
0: Oh my god.
1: Yeah. I'm going with no. I'm going with William Green.
0: Oh my god. Oh my god.
1: When you make a play that literally gets your team to the playoffs for their only playoff berth in 20 years, I'm sorry, that that counts for a ton.
0: Wow. You're putting this guy on Mount Rushmore for one. You go from the guy with, you call the Iron Man with the longest snap streak in franchise history to a guy that you're basing him being on Mount Rushmore off of one play.
1: I mean, it wasn't quite one play, but it sort of is, to be honest.
0: I mean, if he doesn't make that play, he's nowhere near the list.
1: One of my criterion was I wanted to have a guy from – each era relatively speaking and for for me i was really having a hard time coming up with one from the butch davis era and i I thought that was the one that made the most sense quite frankly so Hmm. that was my rationale there so i'm going with william green
0: second boy that's actually interesting i'm trying to think
1: i mean who else are you gonna i mean well it's it's your pick now so you can go ahead That, I boy, may get some blowback for that one but you, you know
0: what? I I'd... absolutely Seriously. You absolutely threw me for a loop with that one. I actually thought you were going to take the guy that I'm I'm about to take. Okay. Uh I'm going to take a guy that might might eventually make the NFL Hall of Fame based on his contributions on special teams. Okay. I'm picking the guy that is number one in NFL history in kickoff returns for touchdown. I'm taking Josh Cribs. Solid. Uh, Very not, solid he, choice. He's number one fan favorite. I truly believe that the fan base is the ones that got him paid on that pay Josh Cribs uh, campaign. Yeah, I
1: mean – I mean,
0: and you want to talk about this? Doesn't this didn't uh, <laughs> this didn't uh, result in the Browns making the playoffs that season? And quite frankly, the Browns actually lost this game. You talk about iconic plays since the Browns have been back in '99. How about that kickoff return in Pittsburgh where he fumbled the ball? All the way back to the goal line, picked it up and returned it and was dodging tackles inside his own five yard line and took it back for a touchdown.
1: I still remember Jim Donvin's call on this play. He said and, and that ball drifts much the ball. That's a live ball. And he's, he's He like, turns disaster he's, 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 into a score. They had to go back and actually. Pittsburgh challenged the play because yeah. he very he nearly stepped, out of, stepped out of bounds inside the they, zone
0: five. They, they repeat, there were Steeler fans complaining about you know blocks in the back that were that were you know imaginary. It was just one of the greatest plays I have That's ever seen. That's not like he was seen. in the
1: middle of the field. He's on one corner. No. Like, how in and the world did 11 the, guys not manage to corral Part him? of the it's part of incredible. The,
0: part of the reason why that play was so good is because he jacked it up from the beginning. Yep. When he muffed the kick, he pulled a Rob Gronkowski and was not fielding kickoffs. At least he went I mean, back to pick it up, the Steelers, unlike Gronk. The, yeah, the Steelers— <laughs> <laughs> the Steelers directionally kicked it and and wanted it wanted him to catch it at the five yard line on the his right side of the field so that they could slant the entire uh, kickoff coverage unit towards him and basically create uh, a 12th defender as the sidelines. But I mean, he was so good at returning kicks. He was literally uh, dodging tacklers in his own five yard line. And took it to the house.
1: This play, if you put music to it, you would have started it with yakety sax, but then halfway <laughs> you would have transitioned to we are the champions. Yeah. Oh,
0: God. Which is hilarious because, again, like I say, we actually lost, somehow lost that game.
1: Was that, in, was that in 07 also? That was in 07. Yeah, we lost on our last second field goal, I believe. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, we would have won the division if they would have won that game. Oh, uh, sorry to bring that up but that's true yeah great choice though great choice yeah okay third choice for me gonna be a current
0: player okay and I had three of them written down three okay I was thinking one of two but I'm interested to see what you have as your third
1: one is on offense the other two are on defense okay okay
0: I think maybe I know
1: now. Boy, this is – boy, this is – you know, this, this, is the, this is the tough one. I've got to say, whatever one
0: you pick, I'm probably going to pick the other. I'm probably going to pick the other one.
1: <laughs> so I am going to go with a guy who I think is one of the top defensive linemen I've ever seen, mm-hmm. quite frankly, and yeah. deserves no other introduction. I'm, go- I'm going – I'm
0: going – I'm going out – And that's Miles Garrett. Yes, I'm going out – I'm going uh, with a bold pr- – I don't know how bold it is, but I'm going with a prediction this year that – Miles Garrett's going to win Defensive Player of the Year.
1: Miles Garrett is just an animal, and you know, sometimes he gets a lot of flack for not making impact in the game at times, or or maybe he makes impact, but it's not at the right time or against the right opponent or whatever. Yeah. But like, the guy, the guy does so much.
0: This guy not only this guy not only re- this is how Miles Garrett wrecks a game the baltimore game at home last year that we that we beat baltimore in the one where we injured lamar jackson and he didn't play the rest of the season mm-hmm.
1: game Myles, where we pretty much did everything to try to give up the
0: game half <laughs> how many times did we do that this, that last year and we actually did give it up uh this this, this particular game we didn't because miles garrett forced a fumble picked it up himself and ran it in for a touchdown. <laughs> Strip <laughs> that's sack, how fumble recovery, I mean, I, I, and, 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 and and score. <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't it wasn't one where like he stripped it. It popped up in the air and it just fell into his chest. This one he stripped. It was on the ground for like three or four seconds. Nobody else could could pick it up. And then he's just like, all right, well I'll do it. And he goes up and scoops it and runs it in for a touchdown. The guy's an animal.
1: That's that's a sing almost single handedly winning the game type of a play. He's he's.
0: Hmm. This generation's Julius Peppers. And I know Julius... Pe- I say this generation's like Julius Peppers played 40 years ago. Julius Peppers right. played, was playing 10 years ago. But, like, that's... that like when, Especially when he was with the Panthers, I mean, Julius Peppers would wreck games. Yeah. Um, and that's what Miles Garrett does. It's what J.J. Watt did in his prime with the Houston Texans. Um, as much as I hate to say it, it's what his brother T.J. Watt does with the Steelers, especially against us. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that that's a great pick. Yeah. All right, so that's three for you. Now my third. I'm also going to go Oh, you know what? Since you took your current player,
1: yeah, there's I, I don't can't have take to, another so yeah. you you could go somewhere else. Let me see.
0: Boy. I'm going to go Let's go back to the O line. Okay. This guy, I think, if he plays another few years, is going to be another Hall of Fame offensive lineman for the Cleveland Browns. It's Joel Betonio. Hmm. Joel Batonio. Wait, no, I can't do that. He's a current player. <laughs> current player. <laughs> can't do that. That's not my current player. Nope. I'm okay. taking it back. I'm taking it back. Okay. Jesus! <laughs> I'm taking it back.
1: You didn't oh. run. He didn't run to the podium. No. Nope. No.
0: Holy <laughs> crap. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Now where do I go? Shoot. I was thinking,
1: like, that was his current player? Yeah, no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy, oh, boy. Where do I go now? Where do we go? Where do
1: we go now? Where do we go?
0: You know what? Because oh, I can't, oh, 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 oh. I I can't think of it right now. I'm gonna have to go with my 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 current choice. Okay, uh, I'm guessing your other defensive guy was Denzel Ward. Yes. Okay. I'm not gonna take Denzel Ward, although I I think I don't think he's there yet, but I think he's going to be there. Mm. Uh, the other obvious uh, answer to this question is Nick Chubb. Yes. Um, this is a guy and sorry to go all Chris Collinsworth right there. Here's a guy. (laughs) (laughs) Now here's a guy. Yeah. Sorry about that. Wow. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) You could do worse than getting compared to Chris Collinsworth. (laughs) This is true. Although again, with the Cincinnati theme, he's a former Bengal.
1: Oh God. Now I got to ant myself.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Nick Chubb, so here's a guy that if he wanted to and if the coaching staff wanted to by A.K.A. just giving him the damn ball probably leads the league in rushing at least once or twice over the last couple years. That was that one year when Derrick Henry rushed for 2,000 yards that I don't think anybody was going to rush as much as him. But Right. That was uh, the 2020 season. Yeah. And this is this is a guy who was quoted yesterday as saying, I finished second in the league in rushing over the last couple of years. That's getting old. Uh, I'm going to change that. So, and, and given our current predicament at quarterback, assuming Deshaun Watson's suspension is where the NFL wants it, a.k.a. he doesn't play it down this year, I think that Nick Chubb is going to have his biggest year as a Cleveland Brown, and I think he's going to win the rushing title this year. He's been probably even more so than Miles Garrett because there are those things with Miles where he kind of fades at the end of seasons, and, you know, there's things of that sort. Um, Nick Chubb. <laughs> well,
1: because of one year it was coronavirus, the other year it was because of suspension.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, well, and then last year, too. I mean, he had, like, 13 sacks after, like, 12 games, and then he only had, like, two sacks the rest of the year. Hmm. It's the reason why he didn't win. Defensive player of the year last year. He was on pace well, the first that, half of the season. Well, that
1: and the Browns not making the playoffs. I mean, True. Yeah, if True. Things that turned out differently, he could have. anyway,
0: uh anyway, I think Nick Chubb has been the most consistent Brown over the last five years. Well, this is going to be his fifth year, so over his last four years. And I think he's the most dynamic player, obviously, on offense. And outside of your pick and Miles Garrett, I think he's the most dynamic player on the team. So he's my pick for my current Brown.
1: All right. So, to recap right now, Joe Thomas, William Green, and Miles Garrett are my three choices. Phil Dawson, Joshua Cribbs, and Nick Chubb are Dan's choices. We've got one choice each left. And for me, this comes down to a not current but recently played on the team player. Mm-hmm. And basically, I'm down to two choices. And one is like a highly controversial one, and the other is more of a, okay, you know, much less so. Oh, boy. Uh, hmm. I'm going to go with Jarvis Landry.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, I think Jarvis Landry was one of the key character guys, key cogs that really brought the franchise back from the brink. Yeah. This guy just, I mean, he was a friggin' warrior too. I mean, of all the times he would get dinged up and banged up, and yet he would just come back for more. I, Great just, choice. I mean, this guy embodied what it was like. I mean, what what an influence he was on the young guys that were coming through. You know, guys like Nick Chubb, guys like uh, Miles Garrett, guys like Denzel Ward, showing him how to be a professional and, and to be and not only that, but to produce consistently as well. I mean, this guy, you know, I, he's getting a little bit up in age now, but I I worry about his departure this year. Like the receivers are not, you know, all that heralded at this point.
0: Uh, you know, no, wide receiver is uh, my biggest area of weakness on this know, football
1: team. You I, know, I think we are going to miss Jarvis this season quite oh, a bit. Oh, 100%. Um, but y- yeah,
0: I they mean, just, that's... They just couldn't agree on a contract number. That's, you know, that's what it came down to.
1: Stinks. Yeah. I mean, and and you know...
0: No way about it. No two and, ways about and he's it. he's not
1: a guy that was, like, going for the big contract or the, or the big, you know, the stars and the lights and everything. He went back to New Orleans. He went, you know, to Louisiana where he plays yeah. college ball. You know, yeah. know, it, it, it was a move that made from. a lot of sense. That's where he grew up. Yeah, so... It just goes, uh, that all, in a way also shows just, you know, what kind of character he is. So, yeah, I, I, I absolutely. Jarvis Landry,
0: he's, he's my fourth guy. Interesting. Okay. I have my pick. All right. And I am very torn on this.
1: I wonder if it's the other guy I was considering.
0: Because this guy not only played for the Browns, He played for the Browns' biggest rival. Okay. This is a guy. Here's a guy. Uh, This guy uh, with the Browns. He was drafted in the first round in 2010. Made multiple Pro Bowl selections. Was an all-pro as well. Joe Hayden.
1: I respect you a lot for taking this guy considering that he,
0: you know, Listen, I don't like, listen. I don't like the fact that, the, that, that he went to Pittsburgh, but I can't necessarily blame him because the Browns literally just told him to go away. That was one of the first moves of the Sashi Brown era where they were not going to pay guys big salaries who were not on rookie contracts. and Joe Hayden was one of the first guys that uh, that they kind of kicked out the door. So while Sashi, I hate hate the fact that he played for the Steelers and I hate the fact that he's going to be on my Browns Mount Rushmore because he played for the Steelers. But I can't really fault him. And let's also be honest, he didn't win anything with the Steelers. So, I mean, I guess no harm, no foul. But yeah, Joe Hayden is on my Mount Rushmore.
1: I think it was Ozzie Newsome who said that if you don't draft the good players, you have to play against the good players. Yep. And in this case, it's even worse because you had him on your team and then he And then left you played against And them. he went <laughs> to a team inside the division. Yeah. Which is even worse. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Joe Hayden was was another consummate professional, great player. Mm-hmm. Uh, great in for, the community. For quite a few years. Yeah. He had the longevity, too, which, you know, it's not easy to do in secondary because you know guys get banged up in secondary all the
0: time. And I'll say this: if the Browns didn't have probably one of the top three secondaries in the NFL from a talent and a depth per, uh, talent and a depth uh, perspective, I wouldn't be against. You know, he's a free agent. He's he's not playing with the Steelers anymore. I wouldn't be against bringing him back. But I mean, we have. If there's question one, is what
1: kind of salary would he want?
0: Well, I don't know, but. We have way too many. We we have way too much depth at those positions to uh, bring Joe Hayden back. But uh, yeah, that's my list. So we'll post those on social media, and uh, we'll get some votes just to see who who you guys think had the better list. These are some
1: darn good good lists here. Uh, so, recapping here, my list is Joe Thomas, William Green, Miles Garrett, and Jarvis Landry. You're gonna get flacked for is that William Green pick. Phil Dawson, Josh Cribbs, Nick Chubb, and Joe Hayden. Yep. So. A couple guys that uh, I had written down that did not make either of our lists. Denzel Ward, who we mentioned earlier. Braylon Edwards I had written down. And perhaps most notably of all, Baker Mayfield.
0: Ooh. Boy, you talk about controversial, but he is the author of the greatest feat since 99. I mean, he was the quarterback that won the playoff game in Pittsburgh. So, I'm going to be completely honest with you. If I had your list, I'd take William Green off it and put Baker on it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I could certainly see the argument for that. It's just. But here's the thing. I wanted a guy from the, from the early era, too. Yeah, right. You, you mentioned,
0: you know, you mentioned one, having one from almost, like, every era. I mean, but
1: I mean, I've got one from the Davis era, one from the Cornell era. Um, Cornell man, I mean, pals. Joe <laughs> Thomas was from wave. He was from like all of them, but like, except for the current. You know, but, uh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut
0: you off. You know what's interesting is, so you talked about having one from every era. How about the Chudzinski era? How about the Patton era? How about the Schirmer era? <laughs> We've had so many regimes. <laughs> Coach oh, Flim Flam, do yeah. you want some of that? Oh my God! And he wasn't
1: even the worst. You mentioned Hugh Jackson, mother
0: effing Jackson, <laughs> Frederick J. Kitchens. Ugh.
1: Are we going to celebrate Chris Hugh
0: ja- Palmer? Mm.
1: Are we going to celebrate Hugh Jackson Day this coming year, January
0: thirty-first? Oh, we will always celebrate <laughs> Hugh Jackson Day. One in thirty-one. Oh <laughs> God. How did that guy get a part of a third year? Good God.
1: I imagine like Paul Heyman should show up in San Diego the next time WWE goes out there and he she should be like, and you guys were the one in one and thirty-one. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies, Ladies and gentlemen. gentlemen.
0: <laughs> Paul Heyman's Browns <laughs> is pleased to fire. Hugh Jackson, oh my God! (laughs) Throw his in the lake, Erie. Yeah, no, no, he'll do that. He'll do that on his own accord. Don't worry.
1: (laughs) Jeez, friggin' Hugh Jackson willingly goes into Lake Erie in January.
0: Well, I guess I'll give him this credit. He did say that if oh my word, he did say that if the Browns went zero and sixteen, he'd jump in Lake Erie in January or February. So, I guess kudos to him for that.
1: Hashtag hypothermia.
0: Yeah. Yeah, wings and pizza. hashtag <laughs> <laughs> oh, Okay, well, I think that's where we're gonna end it off here. Like I said, uh, there's nothing really to talk about with Deshaun Watson that we haven't talked about already, until we hear of the appeal ruling, which I don't think is going to be very favorable to the Browns. But that is pretty much. I will say this: I think we talked. I think we texted about it. Deshaun Watson suspended for the whole year. Are you making the trade for Jimmy Garoppolo? No. Why?
1: Because if you ask me my gut opinion, Jimmy Garoppolo might play well initially, but then he's going to get hurt, and you're going to be right back to where you
0: were. Fair. That's absolutely fair. fair. But if that was the case, let's say you don't trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, and the same thing happens. Jacoby Brissett gets hurt. Well, now you're going from Jacoby Brissett to Josh Dobbs, who's thrown like nine passes in the NFL. So at that
1: point, you have to kind of figure: where are you in the standings? First of all, you know, are True. if you're over 500, maybe then you pull the trigger on a move like that. Yeah. If you're already if your season's already going downhill, then you just say, well, you know what? Let's just play this thing out maybe we get a top pick in the draft well of course we don't even get it so that doesn't even work so
0: that so so Uh. actually so so to be completely honest with you uh, i have my own reasonings for why and, and i'm pro trading for jimmy garoppolo i have my orders for that that's actually one of them trade for jimmy garoppolo because assume if he can stay healthy that will lessen the value of that draft pick that goes to the houston texans as much as it possibly can be if Deshaun Watson's not playing this year.
1: Yeah, there's no reason Jaco- the tank. Listen, you even listen get that to me. choice. If,
0: if Jacoby Brissett is the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns in 2022 and he's healthy the whole year, I think you're looking at a 6-11 and season.
1: Yeah, I think I said the, between 5 and 7 wins with him. And so not yeah. And
0: not that I love Jimmy Garoppolo. You can't discredit the fact that this guy has taken a team to the Super Bowl and the NFC Championship game. Now, is he the number one reason why they did? No. No. But but what were the main tenets of the teams that he took to the Super Bowl? Defense and special teams. Defense and running the football. Oh, and running the football, too. Yes. What are the Brown what are the Browns going to lay, lay their hats on this year? Uh defense defense and running the football. And running the football. The Browns almost run the same exact offense as the 49ers. This is that West Coast Shanahan Kubiak style of offense I'm Telling you what if you can get if you can get Jimmy Garoppolo and he can stay healthy, I think you have a chance to make the playoffs. Now, I'm not saying go to the AFC championship maybe go to the Super Bowl because if you've looked even if we get Jimmy Garoppolo, we still probably have like the eighth or ninth best quarterback in the division. The caveat in in the AFC in the conference. Oh, okay. The caveat is, I think outside of quarterback and receiver, because the Browns need to do something with receiver. Sign T. Y. Hilton, sign Emmanuel Sanders, something like that. The Browns have one of the best rosters in in the AFC, so it's possible that with Jimmy Garoppolo, you could still win the AFC North. It's possible. Because the Baltimore Ravens, as much as they want to say because they're getting back healthy and all this and blah, 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 if you don't think that 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 contract situation is going to weigh over Lamar Jackson's head all year if they don't get it done, you're badly mistaken. Also, there's the fact that uh, Lamar Jackson, the injury bug has started to hit him a little bit, and his style of play lends to that. The longer he's in the league playing that style of football, The more nicked up he's going to get. And, you know, with the Bengals, there's the whole Super Super Bowl loser hangover that they have to contend with. And not only the fact that their quarterback is probably not going to have a preseason. Giving it uh, uh, an emergency appendectomy. He has not practiced in training camp, and he's probably not going to play or practice the entire training camp.
1: That is interesting that he's still out. I have to wonder if he's had some sort of medical complication. Yeah, I you know, don't know. Coming
0: after that, I know he's been at practice every day, but he just hasn't been participating. So, anyway, I'm just saying I'm pro Jimmy Garoppolo.
1: Uh, Final thoughts, and since you didn't mention Pittsburgh, who's a better quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo or Mitchell Trubisky? Jimmy Garoppolo.
0: See, I consider them to be pretty much the same. I just go. I, I just go back to, and again. Jimmy Garoppolo's been in better situations, so I'll give him that. But he's been to a Super Bowl in an NFC Championship game. He's been to a Super Bowl in two NFC Championship games. I, listen, you don't have to tell me about Mitchell Trubisky and the Chicago Bears situation. I know that. That's that was they screwed him up bad. But I will also say, reports coming out in Pittsburgh makes it seem that uh, the people in Latrobe at Steeler camp. They don't think they have one quarterback. They've all been that bad in preseason. so. Aren't
1: quarterbacks usually and offenses usually behind at, yeah. in, in the early phases of training camp? Yeah,
0: and especially on a team like Pittsburgh, who predominantly every year has a really good defense. So yeah. that could be some of it. Um, I guess we'll see when you, when you start playing in preseason. But mm. uh, I would just have to give the edge to Garoppolo just because of results, um, you know lucky enough to get some block
1: punts in the fourth quarter of of, of playoff games against the number 1 seed.
0: That's true. A lot I mean, of a lot of it is luck. I, from, I'm not I'm not going to run from that fact. A lot of it is luck, but listen. There's there's luck and then there's 31 and 14 as a career record, which is what Jimmy Garoppolo has.
1: That's that's really solid. That's impressive. Can't can't deny that. I
0: mean, while Jimmy Garoppolo is not he's not an elite quarterback, he makes a lot of winning plays and winning throws. So, again, True. I, I, would, ah. I would much rather have Jimmy Garoppolo than Jacoby Brissett. I'll just say that. Listen, I, Jacoby Brissett, I think, is great in the role that he was designed to be in when the Browns traded for him, which is the backup. He's a, he's a really good backup. If you need him to come in for a start or two to win you a game, he can do that. J, J, Jacoby Brissett is not who you want over, over a 17-game stretch in an NFL season. It's just not. You can get by with Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't think you can get by with Jacoby Reset. That's I mean, what that's we all. we were saying. set
1: up if it was just a four or six game suspension with how easy the schedule is early on. Yes, that, that things could have worked. But yeah. like now that we're looking at a situation where it's going to be uh, late October, November, and Watson's still not going to be playing
0: at the very least 12 games, I think.
1: That is not if good. Not, not the that whole mean, season. That means he's not playing against Baltimore, he's not playing against Cincinnati, he's not playing against Tampa or Buffalo or Pittsburgh. Or, yeah, nor
0: Pittsburgh either. So,
1: it, it's, I mean, he wasn't going play, to play Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh regardless. regardless. That was week three, but, like, yeah.
0: still. So Anyway. Anyway, yeah. So that's going to do it for us uh, on episode 223 of Living Off the Land. We appreciate you guys listening. Thanks so much. Uh, once again, uh, if you're a soccer fan and you want to come watch some uh, some football, uh, we will be at Schnitz Ale Brewery on Saturday at noon. Come up and hang out with us, and we'll watch some soccer, drinking some beer and having some food. And, uh, yeah, so you can follow us on social media at the LOTL podcast. And uh, that's going to do it for us. So another one in the books for Stephen. Dan, you've been listening to Living Off the Land, episode 223. We'll see you next week. See you.